Welcome to the Boomer Effect Podcast, where we strive to gain a better understanding of not just those generations that came before us, but those who come after us, breaking down generational differences and establishing a common ground. Boomers made mistakes, but they got a lot right as well. Join Jerry and Rose as they attempt to understand and overcome the generational divide. Every episode of Boomer Effect is brought to you by My Pillow. And I'll tell you what, you and I were talking and our favorite product is the slippers. Oh my gosh, I love those. Yes. You know, they're so comfortable. I feel like I just I just feel like I'm walking on a cloud when I'm and they're warm and they're cozy. Perfect for winter right now, particularly they the are. winter slippers that they have. And guess what, Jerry? They've got a great price. Find out when you go to mypillow.com. And use the promo code. <laughs> Boomer. Boomer. On this edition of The Boomer Effect, we're going to be talking to the author of Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. And he's a senior partner with a prominent Chicago law firm, Joe Bricado, a nice Italian boy. Joe, thanks for joining Jerry and myself today. <laughs> and welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, we, one of the things that caught my attention is that you know, you had mentioned some things about Gen Z voters and how they're going to be voting in higher numbers than expected in this next presidential election. That's going to be pretty powerful. As a matter of fact, they say there are 41 million members of Gen Z who are eligible to vote. Do you think they're going to vote? Well, I hope they're going to vote. I think it's really up to the media, up to our political leaders business leaders to encourage everyone to get out there and vote. As we all see, elections have consequences. And, um, you know, with respect to Gen Zers and even millennials, there have been some articles. I think one of the ones I saw was in USA Today um, fairly recently where, you know, a lot of Gen Zers and millennials don't believe that the American dream Mm-hmm. is attainable to them like it may have been in their minds for prior generations. And my my hope is that they keep the faith that it is still attainable. I have some further thoughts on that. But if they have issues and problems, whether it's the cost of homes, if it's inflation, if it's whatever, the only way that they're going to be able to effectuate change is if they get out and vote they understand who's running and why they're running and vote for the right people to achieve their goals. You said you had some thoughts on why they feel they can't attain the American dream. And I know Jerry and I talk about that a lot, the American dream and how important Mm -hmm. that is. Well, you know, I I do believe that, you know, when uh, a generation says like the Gen Zers and millennials say, hey, you know, we don't feel that the quote-unquote American dream is as attainable for us as it might have been for our parents or our grandparents. I think it's very important to have more of a 30,000-foot view of the topic. And, you know, if you think about it, um, if you grew up in a depression, your American dream probably was having food on the table. Um, (laughs) And if, you know, you were a child of someone who grew up in depression, maybe it was to have a steady job to put your kids through school. Um, perhaps, you know, the first person to go to college uh, in your family. And so every generation has had its challenges, has had its obstacles, and has had to really work hard 
through personal responsibility and work ethic to do what they can with what they can. And, you know, the, the, the concept of happiness and the pursuit of happiness as outlined in the Declaration of Independence is, um, is, a, is, a, is a contextual concept that every generation has to define. And frankly, I think that the current, you know, younger generations have probably as much of an opportunity to achieve what our framers intended in terms of happiness than any other generation. You have, for example, take the, uh, the work-life balance. You know, just a couple of years ago, that didn't even exist. Uh, you know, this hybrid concept right. and, and focus on well, personal well-being and your own happiness. And a lot of people didn't have that luxury years ago. And, you know, so in terms of really being authentically happy and doing what you love to do and having the opportunity to pick a wide range, a panoply of potential things to do for work and, um, you know, all the technology, you know, the healthcare that we have. So there are so many reasons why I think Gen Zers and millennials should be very enthused about the future, know that they can overcome challenges and obstacles like prior generations did. There were different challenges and obstacles. That's the American way. So, Joe, let me ask you this. In your book, Hit It Off, mm -hmm. you refer to 21 rules of mastering the art and science of relationships and life and business. And you talk about mm -hmm. two people in your life that embody those rules. And you refer to yep. your grandfather and your father. And a lot of times what mm -hmm. we talk about on this show is how mm -hmm. knowledge was passed from generation to generation, not only on family mm -hmm. values, but how to overcome adversity. And so even in your case, you were fortunate enough that the past generations, it sounds like to me, your past generations tried to embody, you know, that that knowledge on you, and and one of those, and and it was something that helped give you strength. And it appears that, you know, in in your case, you were able to enjoy the passing that knowledge. And so many times, I think that that's where the system kind of breaks down now is is that we don't have that passing of knowledge from generation to generation, the maybe in the way that we did of the past. We, we don't, unfortunately, as much as we did in the past. Um, one really good example, and I appreciate you mentioning my grandfather and my father. Um, I do note them in the introduction to the book because they were so influential in shaping me and who I am today and what I can pass on uh, to my children and hopefully grandkids. But the idea really is, you know, when I was growing up, like a lot of people, um, it was more of a kind of traditional family. And yeah, I learned I learned about, and, and there's a, a rule in my book around the topic of respect. I learned about respect around the kitchen table. You know, I was taught certain things, you know, and I tell a sweet story about my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who would make uh, pasta on, uh, on Sundays every every week. And, and, you know, she would get up at, you know, the crack of dawn to start the gravy. And we back then we called it gravy. I still call it gravy. And, um, <laughs> you know, and if you didn't need two, if you didn't need two, three helpings of grandma's pasta. What's wrong? You don't like it. <laughs> You don't love me? What's yeah. going on? You know, so so you know, simple things like that would teach you that people need to be respected. They may have differences of opinion with you. They may find different priorities in life. Whatever the case might be, but you have to fundamentally respect them as human beings. So now, fast forward. Um, I'm sure a lot of families still practice this and preach this. However, we see in many cases, you know, in many areas of our society, 
destabilization occurring around the family, around faith, around a lot of things that at one point provided a lot of the intuitive things that are in my book. So what I wanted to do, and, and I don't think that people are really picking this up a lot, at least as much as I did growing up, or even early on in my business world, my business life. So what I wanted to do is really provide science-backed strategies around very intuitive, and I frankly think are fairly common sense things, to help us really have a toolbox that we can utilize, especially younger folks, but also all of us, to go about and really maximize the likelihood of achieving all of our goals in any relationship we have. These are all science-backed. There's over 100 footnotes in the book. There are psychological, sociological, and business studies and other expert commentary around these very intuitive things. And by understanding the science, my hope is that we'll all feel more confident with the efficacy of these things to go out and practice them. I got to ask you a question, though, because something you said just a a few moments ago, when you talk about the founding fathers and the American dream, you know, one of the things about the founding fathers, it struck me that they came from countries, you know, in in Europe, you were only as great as your bloodline. You could be no more Mm -hmm. and no greater than where you were born or how you were born and in what family you were born to. And and, and the founding fathers, I, I believe felt very strongly that there was greatness in every one of us and that all that was necessary Mm -hmm. to unleash that greatness was freedom. So with that in Mm -hmm. mind, because, you know, when you read, I am a big um, student of history, particularly of that time. Why is it that this younger generation feels that they can't attain, as you mentioned, that American dream, like those who came before them, as easily, let's say, as those who came before them, when we still have that freedom to pursue your dreams and your happiness and those goals? Are we lacking some freedoms here, or do they just not recognize those freedoms? The freedoms are there. We still have a constitution. Still, it's hanging by Um, a thread, but yeah, we still have all of that. We still have a... We still exactly we still have a written document that we uh, believe in uh, as a country, hopefully. But but I think it's about, you know, it's a complicated question, obviously. But I do believe that a big part of it is that we don't necessarily have leadership in our country, both at the political level and at the business level in many cases to properly articulate Mm. the benefits of our system. And there is a level of incivility right now in society that is an outlet for a lot of disenchantment that people have in their lives. Um, you know, if you take a look at the, the rates of mental illness. You take a look at the, uh, you know, the crime and the incivility in the workplace, even in the workplace, there have been studies done that show, actually the Harvard Business Review published an article that reported the results of a study that was done not too long ago that reported um, uh, incivility in the workplace. And incivility, what they mean by that is rudeness, disrespect, or other insensitive behavior. 78% of respondents reported witnessing incivility in the workplace once a month. 70% of respondents reported witnessing incivility in the workplace two to three times a month. Now, that's just ridiculous, but that is, that is a, it's a microcosm of what's going on in society. Take a look on the street, what's going on. Take a look, what's going on internationally. It's, it's ultimate chaos. 
But the bottom line is what we need are leaders that will, and this is a big part of my book, we need leaders to really approach leadership going forward from the position of critical thinking. We don't have leaders held to a higher standard of critical thinking. And what I mean by that is effective communication, uh, carefully assessing information and approaching issues very objectively, leaving predetermined judgments and biases at the door as much as possible. And I believe if we held politicians to a higher standard, they're going to evaluate all issues in front of them very critically. They'll be able to effectively communicate to us the pros and cons and if we all respect each other, but we don't, we don't. Yeah, yes. Because we're not encouraged, and we're in, in every at every turn, we see people yelling at each other in the media, pundits going at each other. It's 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 creating this incivility in our discourse, mm-hmm. and I just think it's wrong. We need people who will stop that, who will focus, frankly, on governing values. And with respect to our country and the freedoms that we have, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everything we do needs to reflect those three things as much as possible. And we need leaders who will help us see things that way. Mm-hmm. I like that. That makes sense. You know, in the introduction yeah. section of your book, one of the things that some of the things yeah. that stood out to me was you stated mm-hmm. we all need a connection with others. One of our greatest gifts Mm -hmm. as human beings is the opportunity to socialize with others and develop rewarding feelings around shared values and and trust with them. And that many people have impressive skills to perform their jobs or or have fancy educations, but they don't have basic skills to socialize with other people in a meaningful way, one that (laughs) leads to amazing relationships. So here's where I'm going with this. Do you think that maybe – we have an entire generation. You know, a couple of things you said earlier. We need we need uh, people at the top. Our politicians need to be better at communicating. Do you think it's possible that we have uh, a couple of generations here that their communication skills have deteriorated so badly that they struggle? How, if if you don't have good communication skills, how is somebody mm-hmm. else supposed to communicate with you? And when you rely on. Uh, a lack of communication skills, and you, you know, you, you get a certain amount of valuable information by communicating, and you build bonds and stuff when you communicate mm-hmm. with people. But when you rely on everything that you know and believe in, on what you're getting from the media and the internet, instead of learning how to communicate with people, you know, I believe that that has an effect on the on the whole problem, also. One hundred percent, and I believe that. The, one of the reasons why my book, I believe, is so important is that people, it, it's not some, these are not things necessarily these days that are being taught at home as much as they should. They're not being taught in school as much as they should, if at all. And I wanted to provide a guidebook. I mean, we have rules, frankly, for just about everything, right? Rules of the road. We have laws. We have rules for our sports. We have rules when we sit down to a table before we eat, right? No one eats until everybody's been served, that sort of thing. We don't have rules for how to interact with each other. So I want to create a change in the way we approach relationships so we can actually go and think through what the rules should be. And frankly, if everybody read the book and understood the science behind it, we can actually start creating civility around our discourse and how we handle disagreements. For example, there's a rule in the book about if you disagree, find common ground. 
And so we are so used to an environment, both in our media, sometimes in our boardrooms, um, you know, on the street where people are just screaming at each other because they disagree. And my whole point and what the science bears out is we have to understand that we have to pivot conversations around governing values. There's a really cool uh, scientific concept called the illusion of explanatory depth in, in the science. And basically what that, set, what that means is we tend to confuse a general cursory uh, understanding of general principles with real in-depth knowledge. And basically, we think we know more than we do about a topic. We all need to basically time out <laughs> and realize that unless we're an expert in a field, we really don't truly understand the topic like an expert does. And what we find when we're disagreeing, when we're yelling at each other is that we're not experts and we're just throwing opinions back and forth. And what happens in that case is people dig in, they don't really understand what they're talking about, and everybody gets upset. And the result of that is it's a shame because we all have a rational self-interest when we're trying to get along with people, whether in the workplace or a personal relationship, a business relationship. And if we get stuck around where we disagree, we're never going to make a deal. I'm a lawyer. I've been practicing law for more than three decades, and there's no way you get a deal closed unless there's compromise because everybody's coming at a deal from a different perspective. But you have to help identify the common interest and the common ground to actually get to a yes. How do we translate that, though, into elections? And that and that's one of the things I really mm-hmm. wanted to talk to you about, because in this. Sure. Mid- OK, first of all, in the upcoming election, we talked about how there's going to be about 40.8 million members of Gen Z who will be eligible to vote. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing yep. is they say that in 2022, that mid term election, that was the first time in which Generation Z made up that entire 18 to 24 age group. Here's here's something interesting, though, about that. They came out in higher numbers than previous generations in their first midterm election. So mm-hmm. many of us didn't even come out in that great of numbers uh, during that same time age period. Now, here's the thing. I saw the actually saw the largest number of young people in line to vote in 2022 in that midterm election than I had ever seen before. A lot of it had to do with the elections of that time, even though those local races, first of all, Abortion was number one, and I do believe that they came out to vote on that. Mm-hmm. You know, Roe v. Wade was overturned right before that election. Mm-hmm. So they have uh, – the young people have a tremendous potential to influence elections and, and spur the issues they care about. But my concern is, are have they found that common ground? Have they done that investigative work? Have they done the research to really understand what they're voting for? Because when it comes to the presidential election right now, when you see the divide, there's like a third of Gen Zers believe that don't even believe that Hamas attacked Israel, let alone some of the things that the horrific things that came out of that attack. But if they are going to be voting, first of all, they hate Joe Biden right now because Joe Biden is supporting um, Israel, but they're not going to like the Republicans any more than that. What are their options? I mean, how are they, do you think, looking at this presidential election, which is right around the corner, faster than you think it'll be here? How do you think they're approaching that and looking at that? Well, you know, this, you know, the Gen Zers are, along with millennials, um, have grown up in a world of digital communication. Right. Um, you know, we didn't have social media, you know, when I was growing up and starting to vote. Um, and so the way we took in information years ago is just different. And a lot of information I think that young generations um, uh, acquire is through social media. 
Uh, I don't know too many young people that actually read real newspapers no. um, or real magazines um, or sit down to watch, you know, the news, quote unquote, um, no matter what you know, side you're at. It, it's really in sound bites, and I believe the media understands that. Certain forces in the media understand that, you know, we all have short attention spans. And so if you're able to message properly, you're able to get people to focus on certain things in sound bites. And that's just the way a lot of people have grown up in sound bites, you know, looking at TikTok videos or Instagram reels or what have you. And that's the way a lot of information is acquired now. So that's why I really do think it's incumbent upon people in positions of power. It could be our, our political leaders, our religious leaders, our business leaders, et cetera, to really slow younger people down, slow us all down, frankly, and say, okay, are we really, are we serious about this thing we call the United States? And do we really want to preserve it? Here's what happens if we do. Here's what happens if we don't. Let's take a particular issue. Let's think critically about it. Let's assess this information carefully. And here are the things that we need to assess, not just the soundbite. If that doesn't happen, then who knows what's going to happen? I mean, it's ultimate chaos. I refuse to forfeit this country to chaos. Agreed. Just because it's difficult to rebound. Will it turn around this election cycle? Probably not. It's like turning around an aircraft carrier at this point. Exactly. But you can't turn an aircraft carrier around with the right leadership. Well, we've had the wrong. I mean, I'm sorry, Jerry, just real quick. You mentioned, you know, the, the how we are so divided right now. I just really feel like if we have the same two candidates again, that we're going to continue this division I because they both have contributed to that great divide where politics are concerned. And I, I, I agree with you. I don't see that we're going to have an answer to any of this right away. Well, it is it is kind of funny if you think about it in, in a sad way, funny, sad way, I guess. That you know, um, the, the the these particular candidates who are who are leading are the front runners. Given mm-hmm. that kind of great divide, whether you're on one side or the other, it really doesn't matter because what matters most is preserving the integrity of our country, of mm-hmm. our institutions, and restoring civility to those institutions. Because that's what's going to restore confidence in the American dream. It's going to restore safety on the streets. A lot of people don't feel safe on the streets. A lot of people don't feel safe to articulate their thoughts. I remember when I was in college, it was encouraged that we expressed our own viewpoints. And if the person sitting across the classroom had a viewpoint dissimilar from yours, you're able to have a very rational, friendly, quote unquote, debate about it. And they go out for a coffee afterward or go out to lunch. People are afraid to even acknowledge their own uh, viewpoints in public anymore. True. That's not America. That's not free speech. Mm-mm. We have to really start turning the tide and have leaders that will basically step up, recognize what's important, and set a good example for the rest of us. You know, you, I've heard you several times talk about the leaders stepping up and being able to communicate more effectively. And, you know, in your book and with your consulting firm, Crux Rainmaking, you put a lot of value on communication skills. And it appears to me that between the Gen Zers and the millennials, that they've lost a lot of basic communication skills that have caused them to rely on technology for information versus human interaction. So when we start talking about elections and how they engage – It would appear to me that them listening to things like debates, uh, them really listening to what a candidate says, 
probably goes right out the window. I'm going to agree with you. I think they're more of a sound bite type of uh, mm -hmm. they're more sound bite generation. So it appears that even the candidates themselves have lost control of their messaging to the media. It's an unfortunate reality. Um, and I don't disagree with that. Um, I think, you know, you use the word listening, uh, listening to debates and this and that. And I believe that, and this is why I try to do as many interviews as I can to really get this message out. That's why I believe that this book is so important because it's based on science, not just what Joe Bricado says, but it is based on, you know, many decades of, uh, doing a lot of business development, doing a lot of business generally with thousands of people across the globe. But the point being is that active slash conscious listening is a skill we've lost. Most people don't even know what conscious listening is. That's absolutely conscious true. listening. Conscious listening is when we don't take a passive approach. It's not just words coming out of the TV or coming out of someone's mouth into our ears. Conscious listening is really being present in the moment, being mindful of what is being said, but not just the words but what the intent is, and then to properly evaluate that. When someone says something in a debate and they make a statement, if we're using critical thinking, we have to understand the words, obviously, but what is the underlying intent of that statement? And is the person who made the statement relying upon information that makes sense, that based on expert research, commentary, subject matter, whatever the case might be, and have they effectively communicated that information to us? And then when we're listening objectively, i.e. we're leaving our predetermined judgments and biases at the door, right. we can listen to either side and then really evaluate that fairly. And we have to encourage Gen Zers, millennials, frankly, all of us to approach the system that way. Otherwise, we really will have chaos for the rest of our life. Yeah. So here's the thing, when you really think about it, and, and we're getting to the point where we're probably going to wrap this conversation up, but mm -hmm. we're talking about a couple of generations that will soon be deciding the fate of America mm. that Correct. have lost somewhere along the line. We have lost the skill set of basic communication. So how do we solve these problems if we can't communicate? That kind of becomes a mystery to me. Uh, I know that you're a big believer in the having a skill set for communication. I don't know how anything gets done yep. without that. And I think that's yep. what makes things moving forward tough for this country. Somewhere along the line, we have generations that have lost the basic skill set of communication. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I really encourage everyone to read my book, Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. I encourage schools to take the book on as required or recommended reading. I think we got to get it in front of uh, high school students and college students as much as possible. I encourage people leaders in business to really rally around these rules to govern their uh, culture internally. And I really encourage our politicians to read these uh, these rules because I think it really will help restore civility to our political institutions. I think if we approach this holistically and if we have a lot of ground uh, a groundswell of support to really push these science-backed strategies, I think we actually can effectuate change. Like I said, it's like turning around an aircraft carrier, but we all help push 
I think we can turn it around. Thank well, you, Joe Bricado, so much. Author of the book, Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. It's been a joy to talk to you today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Boomer Effect Podcast. Different generations fight each other as if it's a football game. There's good and bad in all generations, but we want to break down generational differences and find common ground. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe. We had a blast, and we hope you did too. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us at www.theboomereffect.com. See you next time on The Boomer Effect.